Well, hey everybody, uh, I want to take a couple of minutes here at the start and give kind of like a, a big picture update. Um, these are like really, really weird times and COVID-19 has, has really upended so many things. And um, here's the thing though, as a church, we're well. I, I really think that it's to be honest, harder than ever to really know that. So some of that I will admit is a statement of faith for me, but I, I truly believe us to be well. Um, our staff is working as hard as we ever have. We've taken on some pretty major projects and God's, I mean, he's given new vision. He's breathing new life. Um, and, you know, speaking for myself, at least, I haven't, like, I haven't felt a surge of, of God's leadership and direction like this in I don't, I don't know, a long time. And I, it's, it's actually really exciting. Um, I don't at all feel like COVID has just taken the wheel of our church. Um, instead, as, as much as ever, and maybe, I, I don't know, maybe more than ever, um, I think Jesus is in the driver's seat. I think he's calling the shots and leading his church. And it's honestly super exciting. Um, and that's even in the midst of all this chaos and uncertainty, um, which, I mean, to be clear, has been really, really hard, too. Um, but we still feel so blessed. I feel really blessed to be able to do church online, and guys, I don't know, I'll just, I'll just say it. Um, I, I think these online gatherings are pretty incredible, um, and I'm just so grateful for all the work that people are putting in to pull this off week after week, and I, I will tell you from behind the scenes, it is so much work. Um, so lots of high fives all around the staff and volunteers alike. Um, the financial update is kind of, it's kind of mixed, uh, March and April, as we got kind of in this mode, were really encouraging. We held it down pretty well, especially under the circumstances. Uh, but in May we took a hit and I, man, I'll just level with you. Um, so far we're, we're kind of getting blasted in June. We're just well off of our averages. Um, and as you know, we've, we've done all that we can uh, to reduce our expenses, but, but those expenses are creeping back up as we're reopening and, and we're finding more and more ways to do more and more ministry in this environment that we're in, which is really good news. Um, but that's happening while giving is, is starting to trend downward. So um, on that front, I just, I don't know, I just want to encourage you to remain faithful. Um, I, I know that all of this is getting so old and it is getting more and more frustrating. I, I, I know there's as much uncertainty in our day-to-day -day lives as there's ever been and giving generously might take more faith than it ever has. But genuinely, I think that's actually an opportunity. Um, I, I was reading through Hebrews 11 this week and I was just so struck once again um, by the words of the author uh, in chapter 11, where he says, in the, like the clearest way, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, you know, I've said hundreds of times along the way that God is always, always looking for the response of faith in every circumstance. And it's just, it's so true right now. God is looking for us to respond with faith, and it's impossible for us to please Him without it. So I just want to encourage you to respond with faith. Um, trust the Lord. Remain obedient to his teachings. Be generous. Let the Lord lead you. This, I mean, this is a test. It's a trial for sure. Um, but, and I really love this imagery in the Bible, 
when we are tested, if we endure, then we come out stronger. We come out um, purified by the fire. And so, uh, so many of you have been so faithful. Thank you so much. Your faithfulness blesses God, and, and God, God blesses your faithfulness. So, um, on to the sermon. We are continuing our series today called B-List Stars, and we're looking at a, a handful of like the non-headliners in the Bible. So uh, we're not talking about the A-listers, uh, not Moses, not Noah, not Mary. Um, we're looking at a few of the names that like maybe you've never even heard before. Um, and today's B-listers, they're not so incredibly uh, obscure. There's a decent chance that you know this story. But Man, this, this is one of those stories that's just played a major role in my life personally. Um, a big part of why we were crazy enough to start this church when I was 23 and, and to do it with no team or money or support or honestly, like any of the things that you're supposed to have when you start a church, um, it's really all tied up in, to some extent, in this wild story about Saul's son, Jonathan, and his crazy armor bearer. And I just, I love these. These guys are my heroes. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you want to follow along. And the backstory for this goes like this. Saul was the newly appointed king of Israel. And, and he was off to a pretty, a pretty terrible start. Um, God had promised Israel victory over their enemies, the Philistines. Um, and at the beginning, they had actually fought and won sort of an initial battle with the Philistines. But the trouble was, um, that actually caused the entire Philistine army to gather. And then they just kept gathering and gathering and gathering, like thousands upon thousands. And when that happened, like Saul's confidence really vanished and... Huge parts of Israel's army were literally bailing out and going home. And kind of in that moment, King Saul panics. Uh, he, he goes to battle. He's down literally to 600 men. They only have two swords in the whole bunch. Like everybody else is using sharpened farm tools. Like literally, like they had two swords in the whole army. And the Philistines, on the other hand, had 3,000 chariots and just untold thousands and thousands of warriors. Um, and when it's, they enter in the battle, when it's time to engage, the Israelites, they just freeze. Uh, they freeze and they scatter and they go into hiding and they're paralyzed with fear. So we're actually going to pick up the story there. It's 1 Samuel 14, starting with verse 1. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father, King Saul. And verse 3, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. So, Jonathan and his armor bearer literally sneak out of the camp, and they go check out like this Philistine outpost, um, and they find like this group of warriors up on a cliff, and they're hiding out of sight, trying to decide what to do next. And Jonathan, in this moment, proposes, guys, the worst imaginable idea. And that's, that's verse 6. Listen closely. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. All right. 
I, did, you, did you catch that? Um, perhaps is what he said. Like, maybe. Like, let's, let's, let's go do this. Let's, let's go take on a whole army because there is a chance that God will help us. Perhaps. And then he says at the end of the verse, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He says, look, I don't, I don't know if God's going to help us or not, but if he does, then we don't even need the rest of the army anyway. It's just two of us. Why does that even matter? What do you say? Do you want to go pick a fight with a whole stinking army? And to, to state the obvious, this is a profoundly stupid idea, and it is obviously the job of his armor bearer to talk some sense into him and talk him out of it in this moment, it's not what happens. Here's what he says in response. Verse 7, Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. He goes, yeah, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Like You just proposed the most ridiculous idea I have ever heard in my life, and I'm in. I'm, I'm in heart and soul. And unfortunately, it seems, that encourages Jonathan. So let's see what happens next. Verses 8 to 10. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. So step one of his plan is let's go blow our cover and let them know that we're here. And here's next. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. And that means, by the way, they're probably dead. Okay. But if they say, come up to us, then we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So let me review. Here's the plan. He says, let's blow our cover. And then, here's the plan. We'll just do whatever they tell us to do. That's the plan. All right, if they say, we'll come to you, then we'll just stand there and we're dead. But if they offer to kill us at the top of the cliff, then that means we're all good. And that was, that was literally their plan. So back to the text, verse 11 says this. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And then what's weird about that is that's actually what they were hoping for. That's what they wanted to happen. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Um, I want to pause here for just a second because Jonathan climbing up this cliff, obviously it's steep. He's using both hands and both feet. Doing this while people at the top of the cliff were literally waiting to kill him. It reminds me so much of a scene uh, from one of the world's greatest movies of all time, The Princess Bride. Probably you can picture it in Yugo Montoya, waiting at the top of the cliff for the man in black to scale the wall or scale the cliff so that as soon as he gets up there, then he can kill him. Um, and I, I, I think that's what it was like. I, I'm betting that the Philistines would have thrown him a rope to help him up. Maybe they did. I, I mean, that's how safe they felt, like a whole battalion of soldiers. Um, they might have helped him up at the top. They, they, maybe they gave him a moment to catch their breath, like in the movie. Um, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of details. Uh, but actually, let's, let's see what happens next. And this is incredible. Verse 13, 
Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And then, this is where I wish we had more details, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So, like, the world's worst plan, and it worked. <laughs> it, it worked. And then what happens is this, like, sort of mini conquest of theirs sets off this chain reaction. So let's, let's see what happens next, and, and then we'll talk about what this means for us today. Verse 15. Then panic struck the whole army. That would be the Philistine army. Those in the camp and field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. So there's an earthquake, okay? It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army, picture this, melting away in all direction. Uh, verse 20. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. So now they're jumping in, now that the tides have turned. All right. They found the Philistines in total confusion, and picture this, striking each other with their swords. And then verse 22, when all of the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. All right, so that's the story. Let's let's talk about this. Um, King Saul at the beginning is completely frozen with fear. He lost his faith. Like he did not believe that God would do what he said he would do, and so he was in hiding. He was he was disobedient. All right, but but Jonathan, his son, he just he still believed God's promise. God said the Israelites would win. And, and here's, here's my point, and don't miss it. In terms of direction from God, that's all he got. Like, God didn't tell him actually how to do any of this stuff. Jonathan believed God, and then he took action. All God said was go. And, and Jonathan, he had, he had no guarantees. Um, and so he goes to his armor bearer. He says, let's do this because, hear me, because maybe God will help us. Maybe God will intervene. Um, and then out of that, he develops this full-on terrible plan. That's, that's what happened. But God said go, and so he went. Period. God said go, and he went. Um, he did not wait for step-by-step -step instructions. He did not wait for the odds to tilt in his favor. He did not wait until victory was certain or even until victory was even remotely likely. God said go, so he went because it's disobedient to stay when God says go. And so while other people hid, they engaged. Um, a couple things. I, I want you to notice that these men... They were confident in their obedience, but not in their success. Um, they were following God, and of that they were certain, okay? But they were not under any illusion that following God then would guarantee their victory or even their survival. 
so I referenced Hebrews early, Hebrews 11 earlier. It's a great chapter. It's called the Hall of Faith, and it's got these incredible stories of God's power on display through these incredible faithful people, and it's like really, really encouraging stuff. Um, but I actually want to read to you because I want you to see how that chapter is closed. Um, this is verse 32 and following. It says, And what more shall I say? There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And then I want you to hear what the Word of God says about these people who listened to the Lord's instructions and then got their butts handed to them. Here's what the Word of God says. The world was not worthy of them. So here's what we got to see. Okay, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they succeeded, okay? But they didn't succeed when God sent the miracles. They succeeded the moment, the moment that they said yes to God's plan for them, not knowing at all if they would live or die. He said, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. The fact is God had promised victory to Israel. He had not promised that there would be no casualties. And they knew full well that they might be casualties, but they still went. Erwin uh, McManus wrote a book called Chasing Daylight about the story of Jonathan. I want to read you a, just a quick quote from it. He said this, Jonathan wasn't choosing to die, but he was choosing how he would live. He left the consequence of his actions in the hands of God. Now listen closely. This realm of uncertainty is the place of miracles. Don't miss that. Guys, when, when, when we decide to go until God says stop, rather than stopping until God gives detailed instructions or gives us some sort of assurances that will keep us from actually needing any faith at all, when we choose to walk by faith and not by sight, then we will certainly, hear me, we'll be much more likely to experience failure, maybe even lots of it. Um, but we'll also, don't miss this, we will also become like lightning rods for God's miraculous activity. Uh, <laughs> there is this uh, full-on ridiculous myth out there that says that, maybe you've heard it, uh, the, <laughs> the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't think so, folks. Um, sometimes the center of God's will is an extremely dangerous place to be. Being in God's will does not keep you from danger. But hear me on this. It, it does make you dangerous. It, it will rescue you from a boring lifeless faith where you never risk and therefore never see the hand of God at work. I hear a lot of Christians complaining that they don't see God do miracles. My experience is that those are the people who aren't living by faith. They aren't living in obedience to what God has already told them to do. So for example, like we don't need God to tell us to go love our neighbors. He's already told us that. But some people, some people 
have incredible stories about God miraculously stepping in when they were sharing their faith with their neighbors. But listen, that only happens to the people who obey and share their faith with their neighbors. The, the stories of divine healing only come to those who pray for the sick. The stories of miraculous provision from God only comes to those who trust God with their finances. You have to obey in order to see God come through in power. As McManus, says, McManus said, uncertainty is the realm of miracles. And hear me, if you're not seeing miracles, you're playing it too safe. So go, go, go talk to your neighbor. Go serve the poor and pray for the sick and care for the widow and visit the prisoner. And hey, actually give that word of prophecy. Like act, obey, take a risk. Put yourself in a place where you actually need a miracle. And do you, know, do you know why? Because, here's why, because perhaps the Lord will act on your behalf and nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few, and maybe he will. And that's the invitation. Let me take just a moment to pray. Father, would you please intervene in our lives? Would you give us the perspective that would drive us to move with real and lasting faith, that we would be the people who say yes and obey without the benefit of certainty, that would be people marked by true faith, who walk by faith and not by sight. God, make in us true warriors who will obey, who will listen, who will engage as you call, not waiting, not waiting for step-by-step instructions, not waiting for a guarantee of, of success or for the odds to tilt in our failure in our favor, but instead people who would say yes and people who would go simply because you, Lord, said go. God, let it be true of us, and we thank you.